Yeah, you sound uh, super rested and uh, revived. I totally am. And I met a whole bunch of new family. It was my first time going there. It's where my parents are from. And so not new family, like old family, but new to me. And it, it was a really, really wonderful experience for me. That's awesome. Thanks. What have you been up to? I, I was in Winnipeg, so I probably had a very similar experience, except the rest and the family and the warm. <laughs> that's not true. It, it hit it hit 38 degrees while I was in Winnipeg, which was very weird. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it was more like, oh, this is ominous because the next day it dropped to like eight. <laughs> oh my god, that's so weird. Well, the weather in Jamaica was amazingly consistent. In case you were wondering, is it always is it consistent? Is it like year round consistent? I don't know. I don't think so. There's like a there's a hurricane season for sure, um, but oh, right, uh, and you know there's some places that are wetter than others just because rainforest and so on. But it was consistent for you know where we were, nice, which was great. Nice. And while I was there, this little thing happened in Toronto where this like basketball team won the finals, and it was very cool to be in Jamaica for that because everybody seemed to want to be a part of it. There's a lot of connections to Toronto and Canada from Jamaica for all sorts of reasons, which is something maybe we should talk about in another episode. Um, but uh, people were very, very excited uh, in Jamaica, and it was nice to be a part of that because I love watching the games, as you know. And I know that you said to somebody on Twitter that this – you know, our podcast would not turn into a Raptors podcast. But I mean, uh, could we, could we, like, was that like a hard no? Or like, <laughs> I mean. Uh, is anything ever a hard no for me other than like, <laughs> other than like destroying <laughs> capitalism? That's a hard yes. <laughs> it's a hard yes. Um, great. No, but honestly, I do want to have a little bit of a discussion today or, you know, the whole episode about pop culture mm -hmm. and what our movements can learn from pop culture. Because I do think that uh, for us on the left, the ultimate goal is or should be changing mass culture to consider some of the issues that we are raising daily in society and I think that because pop culture is this you know phenomenon where it either meets people where they are or pulls people to a particular uh, place in a mass way that there is a lot that those of us who are on the left and part of movements can learn from uh, from pop culture and you know in the pop culture of Toronto right now clearly uh, the Raptors sports all over the world is a is a really big deal and so what can we learn from pop culture I think that's a really important question mm -hmm. and it's not just Toronto I mean there's a lot of people across Canada who are really excited about this and a lot of people really worked hard to make the Raptors be a Canadian thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we the North is not Toronto, of course, because Toronto is not that far north. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
Uh, but but people across Canada really really were able to feel like this was Canada's team and um, you know as someone that that watches the World Cup I was really interested in seeing you know people react to uh, a sport that isn't hockey honestly in such a way Mm -hmm. knowing that like the Canadian soccer team will never make the World Cup. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't the women's team make the World Cup? Oh my God! The women's team is playing right now. Mm-hmm. Yes, and if you're not watching the women's World Cup, uh, you really should be because it's pretty good soccer. So and that al- is one important plug. And also shout out to Chanel Hudson Marks, who is my cousin playing for the Jamaica team. What? <laughs> yeah, isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, absolutely. And the other thing that um, that I was thinking as you were raising that is, you know. Although I believe that there are a lot of Raptors fans in this country, I don't know that there were that many Raptors fans in this country before the Raptors got into the finals. Do you know what I mean? So there's there's something that happened that allowed for people to feel either that they wanted to be a part of something or to feel um, safe and welcomed being a part of something that maybe they didn't know anything about literally (laughs) I mean I know I know people I I myself am not someone who watches basketball from the beginning of the season to the end I uh, Mm -hmm. my brother Mm -hmm. loves basketball I love hanging out with my brother and usually he'll know that I get really excited around um, whenever the playoffs start so he'll he'll catch me up when the playoffs starts and then we start talking about it but what about all the other folks who are worse than me, like worse bandwagoners than I am, you know, who are like, what, what is this, a final thing? Like, how many games are there? I am there. I'm watching every game. I'm going to be out on the street <laughs> responding to all the people honking. Like, there's something that happens there that allows people to feel like, I can take this street in celebration. And what can we learn uh, about what makes people do that uh, to make them think, I can take this street in uh, in condemnation, or I can take the street in um, demand of something else, mm. uh, whatever it might be. Yeah, and we should say that in this recording, if you start to hear noises in the background, it's going to be on Sandy's end because there's definitely no parade happening outside my uh, window. <laughs> but you are not far from the 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 parade, really. The like uh, downtown Toronto is going to be madness today. <laughs> it's going to be fun. absolutely Chaotic. yeah. So. So we're recording this on Monday morning. It is just about 9 a.m. My apartment is not on the parade route, but it is not far from the parade route. And already this morning there has been uh, some honks. So we're just going to power through it if it happens. It'll just be lovely background noise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, your your comment about when can we take streets not just for celebration but for other reasons i mean i think that the 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 funny thing about how cities are are designed these days uh all cities in north america and you know towns and suburbs is that the road is the most important piece of real estate that if you block the road you are you are taking action that is that is that is radical because the road is the way that people move is the way that commerce moves it's the way that uh, we're policed it's the way that we uh, it's our it's our access point to the rest of the world and we're not very good at figuring out how to move in other ways which is of course why getting public transit can be so difficult or or why public transit sucks in so much of, of the country and there were a lot of images that came out after the Raptors win that made me think of the G20 
in Toronto, which is mm-hmm. we're almost at the ninth anniversary yeah. of that. And th- the difference between uh, someone jumping on a cop car because they're like really excited the Raptors won and someone jumping on a cop car because they're really mad at the police state and a billion dollars being spent on the police state to protect the wealthy. I mean, the action's the same thing. It's jumping on a police car. And I, and, mm-hmm. and I think that, mm-hmm. that when we render things possible, when we render uh, taking over a street or occupying a street just because of a celebration, when we render those things possible, we open up people's minds to what could be more possible, which could be, yes, maybe we should shut the street down in protest, or maybe we should shut the street down because why do we have this street open? I mean, there's, there are so many, uh, there's so many streets in Toronto, for example, that easily could be shut down to create community, but people would act as if it's like the end of the world. You know, I was, I was in, in, in downtown Montreal not too long ago and St. Catherine has been shut down for a large chunk of it, which is like pretty much like the version of Queen Street if you've been to either. And to see it shut down and to see people on the street and to see art on the street, it's like, oh my goodness, like we are so impoverished in this country to like that we that we hesitate to shut down streets, permanently mm-hmm. shut down streets or temporarily. I think St. Catherine's a, a temporary shutdown for the summer. But that is something that we can learn <laughs> that that when you create gathering spaces, people will gather. And that is wonderful and important. Absolutely. I remember uh, when I was in Sao Paulo, um, Brazil, there was almost every day or sorry, every week I was there for three weeks. And very often there's this massive thoroughfare. I think it would be um, like the equivalent of Young Street or Bloor Street uh, in Sao Paulo. It's where the um, where the major art galleries are, a lot of big banks and so on. Um, every few days it was closed for some sort of either festival or gathering. And it I was talking to some folks on the street who said it happens at least once a week. And some of it would be political gatherings and some of it was, you know, artistic gatherings. There was a concert one day. I was just like, I can't believe the street is closed all the time. And people were like, why wouldn't it be? It's a huh. it's a it's a really big street. Like where we have to go somewhere like to, <laughs> to hang out. <laughs> it's like oh yeah, that you know, that totally makes sense. It's a it's a public it's a it's a public use place and and why not so yeah i think i think that's um a really important thing to to consider and i did go out before i went to to jamaica i was here uh in toronto for uh the game where the raptors made the finals so they beat the bucks uh the milwaukee bucks and they made the finals and on that day i went outside uh, with a few friends who had watched the game and some people who hadn't, who were just like, I just want to be a part of <laughs> whatever this is. And it really did feel like the G20. It felt um, almost exactly the same uh, in terms of how many people were on the street, in terms of um, the way that, you know, there were a few people who seemed a little bit nervous and then there were there were people who were more celebratory. It was different than, you know, the entire finals being won, obviously, it was, this is the first mm-hmm. time the Raptors were in the finals, so it was, a, it was a little bit different than the massive celebration that happened on Thursday night, with with the one exception of, like, there was just less cops. <laughs> like, there was just yeah. way less cops, but it really did feel like the G20. Um, I think that the left has, like, an issue with pop culture, personally. Like, I, I, as you know, love pop culture. <laughs> I consume pop culture. I love pop culture so much. Um, and 
you know, we should have a problem with pop culture because so much of pop culture is about capitalism yeah. and is about making money. But um, it doesn't have to be. And I think that uh, at times uh, on the left, we shy away from learning about pop culture or, or participating in pop culture, perhaps uh, as a way to um, refuse capitalism. But I think that we, we need to think about uh, pop culture differently because it's just so much of where um, mass culture is at. Like mass culture can very much reflect pop culture. And if we want um, as a goal to affect uh, massive shifts uh, in, in uh, political goings-on, in social goings-ons, and in, in economic goings-ons, Ons. I don't know what the right word is there, goings-on or going-ons, whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, if we want to do that, um, we have to, uh, to to change, I think, what, what pop culture is. And I do think that um, there is a, a bit of a shift in the way that pop culture, uh, some segments of pop culture are more willing to engage in the political. Um, if we see things like, uh, for example, um, Ava DuVernay's new, new uh, limited series on Netflix, When They See Us, that um, is a way that pop culture uh, is influencing uh, how people see incarceration, mass incarceration in the United States and perhaps beyond. Um, there are some television shows that have now um, hired uh, consultants to talk with them about a particular social issues so they can tackle those social issues in their um, in their shows. So, for example, um, Shonda Rhimes through Grey's Anatomy did a, a, a massive kind of Me Too episode that was like a really different uh, way of doing television. Um, for folks who watch Grey's Anatomy, you may have uh, seen that episode this season. It was a, it was like a, a, a very big deal. And I think that, uh, you know, that's it's really interesting that pop culture is interested in, in engaging with activists or activist movements in some ways. And I wonder if uh, we're ready to take advantage of that, if we have a plan, um, or if that's something that we're totally unprepared for. Like, <laughs> I mean, I really do think, I really do think that it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it would be a really cool strategy to take up that could um, accelerate things for us. Well, if you are really involved in a particular issue, you tend to be watching it with an eye to what's emerging, how the public is responding to your issues or to your message or whatever. And really good activists will be on top of the ways in which pop culture reflects their issue because you can't not be. But I think that you're right that we have a lack of that awareness to see how people are responding to certain issues when they appear in certain aspects of pop culture. Now, I'm at a massive disadvantage in this discussion mm -hmm. because I am like fucking not <laughs> in pop culture. <laughs> I mean, I like reading gossip sometimes, um, and I but I don't even know who I don't even know who fucking nine ninety percent of anybody is. So, you know, forgive this discussion is going to be a bit lopsided, but. Having said that, every time that something comes up that is popular, it, it like, you know, Game of Thrones is a really good example of this, or The Wire. Like, these shows that were 
mm-hmm. deeply complex in uh, their relationships. And I'm talking like early <laughs> Game of Thrones, not like the end. Um, the last episode. In, well, <laughs> even the last three seasons. But like deep, deeply yeah. complex and human issues where the viewer really wants justice. They see these people that are making impossible decisions or bad decisions or good decisions and being punished. And you can tell you can tell certain stories of morality, let's say, for lack of a better word, through these characters. And people really mm-hmm. feel it. And as the in, in Game of Thrones, as um, as like the plot kind of fell apart. The only thing that kind of emerged in the last season was this interesting fight between the living and the dead or the the people and the and the White Walkers, which kind of stood in for climate change. And it was kind of interesting to see people talking about how, oh, my gosh, like season eight is going to be this this uh, confrontation between people and the climate. And the parallels are really obvious. And then, of course, we were like fully let down <laughs> by the fucking producers. And they did not make it that. <laughs> we just, no, they really we just slayed climate change <laughs> with, uh, <laughs> with no problem. But, um, but sneak attack. I mean, after I guess you 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 uh, uh, train with the faceless men for for long enough, maybe that's what we need as a, as a fucking hero. Yeah. But but the yeah. but people were like really interested in this. What was going to be this epic battle? And for, from the climate change perspective, it's like, oh wow, you know, you can engage people if you have these grand narratives and if you have these, um, if you, if you have these paths towards action that that really can capture their hopes but also their anxieties which is what we really do lack on the left because we we don't tend to get Mm -hmm. past sometimes we have solutions sometimes those solutions aren't very well thought out or they're like a slogan um but we don't have a way to capture people's hearts uh and and sometimes not even their minds either and then it's like oh wow why is everyone living in despair and we can't like convince people to give up single-use plastics (laughs) for example Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm and I think there, too, in what you're mentioning, um, is the importance of art in our movements and how important uh, art is in making people feel something. And I think, you know, uh, clearly here, uh, we don't fund the arts enough. But, you know, like, let's take a look at what's happening with the Raptors, like people being able to say or, or saying, like, we the North, which is you know, like, it's like a weird, like, if, you know, we're being critical about it, it's like, it's a weird, like, kind of colonial, strange thing. Like, there is no, like, Canadian unity (laughs) around, (laughs) around, certainly not around Toronto. Um, And like, who's the, like, who are we talking about? Like, you know, if we were to really critique that, like, that's kind of, you know, it, it, it becomes absurd. But, the art that surrounded We the North, like the idea of almost very, very similarly to Game of Thrones, and I think that's why there were so many memes, the, the idea that there's like this embattled uh, underdog mm. North that's like really fighting through, like all the art that was made through, I'm sure, um, uh, you know, advertising agencies or whatever, what have you around uh, this slogan and making people feel like they could imagine themselves to be a part of this team. Like, you know, when people say, we won. I mean, I I didn't win anything. Like, (laughs) who are the Toronto Raptors? It's not a bunch of guys from Toronto. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's like we, the idea that the art becomes so important as part of 
this pop culture that then becomes a part of a like a political nationalist movement it's it's really quite incredible if you think about the power of what um the art that is a part of uh the sport can do uh, for people feeling some sort of allegiance to this bloody thing called canada mm. And we had such a good example as well of what happens when real life's head emerges from the victory on the night of the of the win when the president of the Raptors gets carded. <laughs> right. And and it was this and it was an, it, it was mm-hmm. incredible for a, a whole bunch of mm-hmm. reasons, not the least of which, of course, you can see it all on camera and to witness it is like, you know, surprising slash unsurprising. But then you had a mirror held up to Canada to say, how is the Canadian press going to respond to this issue? Mm-hmm. And how are people going to respond to this issue? And so, mm-hmm. you know, by and large, oh, I, I certainly didn't see a single person say, yeah, that was fair. Like the sheriff was doing his job, which I thought was, I mean, OK, I'll take that as a victory, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But but the Canadian media responded with saying that, you know, there was an assault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. just reported it as if it was like well yeah there was an assault and and here are the charges and oh okay well here's the video maybe we'll change the story a little bit later when it becomes more clear but the first story comes out as it's an assault and so every single person in Canada who has ever been carded who has ever faced uh police police brutality or police like a a, a roid raging cop who's like bigger than his own shoes or whatever or his mm-hmm. shoes are bigger than him I'm not sure maybe that's the wrong saying <laughs> knows <laughs> That this is how it happens, but for the Canadians that don't know how it happens, and who then read the press and say, "Wait, that's not what happened. The video's right here. Like he had his credentials. He's walking onto the court. This is, doesn't make any sense, right?" So, the, all of the work that activists have done around carding was able to become meaningful to people that have never witnessed this, mm-hmm. like directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were these moments uh, throughout the finals, actually, of um, these kind of political and racial tensions. Um, There was a moment where Kyle Lowry, one of the players, fell into the crowd uh, doing, you know, trying to to grab a ball and then was was pushed by one of the billionaire owners of uh, of the other team and um, Mm. uh, the Warriors. And... There was uh, this comment that one of uh, the players made afterwards. It said, you know, if if Kyle Lowry, subtext being as a black man, walked into uh, the office of this billionaire while he was working and pushed him, he would be arrested. And, you know, the, the billionaire is never going to experience that same sort of call to justice or uh, punitive measure uh, from from what he did his assault on Kyle Lowry's person and of course there was there was no like call uh for him to be arrested or charged with battery uh, as there was with Masai who who was the person you were just talking about um who may be charged with battery I think they're deciding today may be charged with battery as a result of uh, what these police officers decided uh, to do to to him after he was trying to to celebrate, and there's all sorts of you know um, uh, discussions about race with respect to basketball. There was a lot of injuries in the in the last little bit, and you know uh, you know there were 
discussions about who was cheering for the for these injuries and what they meant by their cheers. Um, is it that we don't see these black men as people? Um, that we just see them as people who are supposed to do these amazing feats uh, for us. And then when they get injured, it's something we can cheer for because it supports our team. Um, or do we see them as, as full human beings who, you know, um, uh, are providing us with entertainment and, and are also doing something that they love potentially, hopefully, but are really providing with us entertainment and are, um, whole human beings. There are, are so many political things to discuss within the sport, um, in addition to how the sport and pop culture as a whole can be a part of our political movements more generally. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and how the movements get us to the point of understanding these things when they do happen in pop culture. Like it's, it's, it's quite symbiotic, obviously. Pop culture is supposed to push us into different places but also show us where we, we are, are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we're seeing that too with the surge with the with the surge of uh, popularity around the handmade handmaid's tale and other kind of uh, apocalyptic warning stories uh allegories for how we're advancing as as society the, the problem is is that that barrier that is between the folks making that art and activists is pretty thick. I mean, there's not mm-hmm. many people who I would consider to be like, you know, activists. You know, they might be progressive people. They might be active in a certain issue. But but actual, like, real activists. Someone like Boots Riley, who has mm-hmm. been an activist his whole life, who's also mm-hmm. an artist. Mm-hmm. We don't have many people like Boots Riley. No, um, no. And, and, you know, maybe partly it's because he's, like, really brilliant and he's super talented. And so, you know, expecting us to have many people like that might be unfair. But, you know, in Quebec, we see that a little bit more where mm-hmm. that activism in the art is uh, is really, really tied together, has always been tied together as a national kind of liberation struggle to put the French language, well, not just the French language, but the Quebecois language uh, front and center as being this is the language of this, these people of us and this is what our art is going to look like and so we'll create a star system we'll create movies we'll have an incredible uh, system of, of books um, and they run the gamut from really really good to really really shit in terms of the political <laughs> spectrum mm-hmm. um, and there's more access to people writing books I mean god I can go into my local bookstore and I personally know like 10 people who are writing in the in the current affairs section of, of the bookstore and this, so St. Jean-Baptiste Day is coming. That's the national, um, like, Canada Day for Quebec is coming this weekend. And uh, two politicians here for Quebec's leader, uh, Catherine Dorian and, and Sol Zanetti, they're hosting a retreat party <laughs> to create culture. Like, literally, that's what they're saying. They're going to create culture around La Fête Nationale. And, they're, and, they're, and anybody can come. You just have to get a ticket. Like, you have to reserve a ticket. It's not, there's no paying for one. And it's a big camp. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have a spoken word and they're going to have musicians and they're going to have people building art because that's been really, really part of that movement. And I, I, it's like I'm not going because like the idea of, of sleeping with like hippies is not super like my thing. But I mean, <laughs> it, for the folks that will be there, like they're going to create something really wonderful and it's going to endure and it's going to be come outside of that of that location. 
because there's people thinking about how do we translate this art into something rather than something like Hillside Festival in Guelph or like Nest Creek in in um, in Big uh, Big River, Saskatchewan, where it's progressive. There's a lot of progressive people that go to these things, but translating that that festival into action, that that that's the missing piece. There's really no link into doing that. I you know I've been a, a part of uh, a number of different movements. The student movement, I think when we, you and I worked together in an office, I don't think we used art as well as we could have or at all. We were definitely plugged into (laughs) pop culture in a way. We, we, we were using pop culture, um, uh, quite, um, consciously in our organizing. Uh, but we, we didn't use art. And I think that that really hurt us with respect to Black Lives Matter. Uh, we, art is like, a central part of our organizing. It is part of every discussion, any sort of event, any sort of initiative. We are always talking about art and how the art is going to blend in. And I, I think it is um, one of the ways that our movement had been so impactful right at the beginning and so successful was because of our use of art um, and all sorts of art. Like even the visuals of like how we would present ourselves uh, to the world was like we were thinking about uh, pop culture. Like how can we um, do something that looks visually arresting and becomes a part of the imagination of how uh, to push these really uh, complex, sometimes complex, sometimes not complex at all, uh, but confrontational ideas forward and have them be possible in in other people's minds like what do we need to look like um, as we're doing that and I I I, I would hazard a guess um, that not a lot of movements are doing that because I, I just don't see that reflected in other movements um, and I would really encourage people who are listening if you're if you're a part of uh, a movement or part of considering, uh, starting one or, or, you know, just thinking about a social issue. Like, think about beyond just, like, how do we get people on the streets or how do we confront power? Um, think about other sorts of power that are around. Culture is a massive, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very powerful force. Are you standing in culture? Are you standing outside of culture? Are you pushing culture? in the ways in which you are organizing or thinking about organizing and why or why not. Like I would really encourage people to start thinking about culture in um, organizing whatever movement or changes uh, you are, are seeking to, uh, to influence uh, in the world. It's, it's such an opportunity um, and, you know, it's, I think it's clear, like, not just because of what's happening with the Raptors and, like, two million people being outside right now, (laughs) (laughs) but just generally in our lives as we look around, pop culture is so powerful. Well, and I, when you're talking about Black Lives Matter, like, I can, I can think of the images in my mind of some of the events Mm -hmm. that you, that you folks did. And, like, I wasn't in Toronto, and so the only images I have of your actions were the images that were broadcast. Um, and mm-hmm. often not broadcast by you, right? So you didn't get to control how it was being broadcast, but you certainly controlled the look. Can you describe for people that didn't see those images, the pride action? Like, what did you look like? 
<laughs> so this was, um, you know, this was pretty, <laughs> this was pretty cool. We wanted to have uh, like a unified identity. And we also, we kind of wanted people to understand that we weren't just trying to look cool. We were, we were trying to look like, um, you know, we were entering some sort of battle in, in a way with, uh, be, because we were, uh, with, with pride and a culture that was refusing to acknowledge what so many marginalized people within pride had been demanding in terms of changes of pride for so long. And so um, in our discussions, we, we met with uh, people who um, would help us to design our outfits and to like sew them together. And we met with makeup artists who would help to design what our faces would look like and who would design like what our hair would look like like there was there was a lot of artists involved in what we were looking like that day for the people who would join us um you know we had uh, t-shirts uh, that that copied another design um that was made uh, for blm globally we talked to the artist that did that and um he uh, allowed for us to to use a similar design for uh, the people who would follow us, and so you know we were all in black, in uh, and uh, the people who were in the who were joining us in the parade were wearing uh, t-shirts with gold coloring on them. We had these gold and black flags that said Black Lives Matter on them that were very 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 tall, like the tallest flags ever <laughs> uh, that uh, people were using. We, we had, um, as ourselves, we were, you know, I was, my, my outfit was like a, a black tank top and black shorts. And then this like really shimmery gold and black cape. Uh, I was wearing like, uh, cornrows that were done up into Bantu knots. Look that up if you don't know what they are. And like, you know, the makeup around my face was like, I'd never had makeup like that before in my life. It was like really fun to kind of look at myself afterwards. It was like just a lot of gold around my eyes and, and sparkling <clears throat> and black lipstick and a lot of black. It was just like a lot of gold and black uh, with the idea to have like this arresting image. And we were all uh, kind of done up in that way. Some people had veils, some people had like asymmetrical, um, you know, shoulder pads uh, kind of, um, you know, just made people look really arresting. And we used these smoke bombs to try to make these stunning visuals, like colorful smoke bombs to make these stunning visuals to show like that this, this is a group of people um, all together uh, who are making this um, like really colorful impact on um an organization that is refusing to, uh, to, to change as the people who uh, should be driving this organization are demanding. It was, and it was just like so raucously effective, like so raucously effective to be thinking about all of those things as part and parcel of also um, who, are, who is our audience? You know, the typical questions of a movement, who is our audience? Uh, what are mm -hmm. we trying to, what message are we trying to deliver? How are we delivering that message? All of those questions in addition to 
what does this look like? What does this feel like? What does this sound like? Um, and how will people, uh, how do we want people to respond to what we look like, feel like, sound like? Um, I think it made it like just this incredibly impactful action that uh, to this day is having impact around the world as people look to that original action in Toronto and make very similar demands around the world um, of other pride organizations. And, and also I'd love to shout out the, the feather that you brought to um, <laughs> force, uh, to, ha to, to have uh, Pride Toronto sign you force them to use your feather, not forced, offer the pet, the, the, this beautiful, huge black <laughs> feather. Oh, yeah, that was wonderful. And it looked great on, on camera and it looked great. Um, it looks great, like in the context. I mean, w we on the left, like, I don't think I've ever been part of a protest discussion that considered these questions of what do we look like? Think about how impactful that is. Like, would we have had had made the news had we not? dressed up at all had we just all were wearing just regular clothing absolutely we would have we would have made the news would the images have been as um arresting stopping people in the street to like pick up a, a now magazine or to pick up the front you know the, the 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 newspaper with us on the front cover i don't know would people have shared it as much on social media perhaps in the first couple of days, maybe not afterwards would it have gone as far as it did to all of the other cities around the world who ended up doing something similar that year or the year after, I really, really don't think so. I think that the power of, like, the images themselves, what they looked like, and how they uh, blended in with popular culture's uh, vision of what what could be, uh, well, just cool, what could be dope, allowed people to feel like, like, this is something I want to take on for myself. This is something I want to be a part of. This is something I want to share with the world. You know, not everybody had a positive response to Pride, obviously, but I think I've said before that was, like, um, one of our most successful moments in terms of, uh, uh, like, fundraising, in terms of, like, the type of support we were getting in our inboxes, despite what the media was saying. So we knew, we knew we had affected mass culture in a, in a really significant way. And so the impact of, of doing the simple, like, what does this look like? These questions of considering these questions was massive. And I think that that's the thing that we fail to tap into a lot of the time on the left when we are literally designing um, actions and events. And we don't totally. even think about it like that, like that we're designing a thing, but we are. It's kind of like stage managing. If anybody's ever been involved in theater, it's kind of like, it's it's almost the same thing. Like you're considering many of the same things that you would if you're like producing a play. Well, and you have to, because if you think about pop culture being so important and so omnipresent in, in, our, in our society, like pop culture is pretty much just supplanted just culture, right? Like we don't mm -hmm. really have culture that's not pop culture. Mm -hmm. And every single image that you see on TV or in the movies, every single song that you hear on the radio is incredibly curated, is incredible. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 like the the worst of it is is formulaic and meets exact certain standards of auto tune and certain beats per minute and certain um, chord progressions that are going to make you go yeah this song is catchy it's going to get stuck in your brain so 
if on the left we're trying to compete for people's attention in the same airspace, we have to consider that. We mm -hmm. have to consider we have to consider curating our our actions, curating the looks of our campaigns. I mean, anybody that 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 goes to a campaign that they think is really great, that they really love, it's going to be a campaign that has really striking visuals, like mm -hmm. for sure. Um, mm -hmm. Anybody that thinks of a politician that they really, really love, it's going to be someone like AOC, whose image is not just like, I mean, she's authentic and that's her, but there's a lot of people working around her as well to make sure that she's as effective as she can be. Mm -hmm. And and we we forget those lessons from pop culture that you have to you have to project an image. And for the left, that image does need to be authentic and it needs to be real, but it also needs to be visually pleasing. It has to be effective and anybody can be that person. But you have to think about these things and you have to think about how to compete in the crowded airspace and to get people's attention in a fundamental way that doesn't just vanish or evaporate the second that the news cycle has moved on. I think that there's a, a lot of assumptions sometimes that, you know, as we're on the left, we're kind of, uh, as we're, you know, fighting against power, we, we should be like uh, outside of pop culture, we should shun pop culture. But I think that we should be thinking about that a little bit differently. I think that um, with any movement, our goal must be uh, to create mass culture. Like we're trying to create massive shifts in our society, which means that we're trying to affect mass culture in some way or create mass culture in some way. And I, I don't know how you can do that with shunning pop culture. And I, I agree that there are... Uh, um, you know, elements of pop culture that are reprehensible. It's, you know, it's very, it's one of the um, manifestations of uh, how capitalism works is how much pop culture um, is just about money. But it doesn't have to be. Like, we can learn from pop culture and create mass culture that is outside of capitalism. But I don't think we can do that if we just shun pop culture or just look at it as something to, to throw away. Uh, or to ignore, and we're going to exist out here in our uh, left bubble that is completely outside of pop culture. I don't think that that's a, a very effective strategy personally. I think that we have to to really look at it because it's it's it affects people so quickly, it invites people, it feels like a warm blanket, I guess, to people as people are just, you know, running to be a part of these things. People want to be a part of something. And I think that um, there's a lot of opportunity there for us if we are willing to take a look at what we can learn, what we can extract uh, from pop mm -hmm. culture and used, uh, use effectively in our movements. Yeah, and it also requires that artists themselves, if you're an artist and you listen to this podcast and you're not sure how you can plug yourself in, sometimes it actually takes the artist to say, look, here's a way forward. Because mm -hmm. I certainly know I like I'm an artist, like I'm a musician, mm -hmm. but I I have not and my band was political, but like I never really thought about how to do better on the uh, bringing art into the movement until it really hit me when I was involved in the campaign in Quebec City. And then there was an influx of artists in that campaign. It was like, oh, wow, this is actually how. So. I mean, it does also require making sure that our spaces are open and that artists are participating. Yeah, absolutely. 
I just organized a conference in, in Winnipeg and uh, one of our sessions was a t-shirt build. So we were showing people how to silkscreen, which we've mm-hmm. never really done. The most yeah. fun thing. Yeah. And so Darren and Spark Poster, the Spark Poster Collective in, in Winnipeg uh, helped uh, show people how to do it and ran also the workshop in a way to show them how to run workshops themselves. And he's got like a supply list and, 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 and you know, you can be in touch if you got, if you want more information about this. But it was like amazing to see people shut their brain off. Everybody was like, I'm just, I just have to shut off my brain while they're like intricately trying to like exact a knife as a a stencil. (laughs) Like, like, I just shut off my brain doing art that is really intense. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff, like people loved it. And it was, and, and the stuff that was created was really beautiful. And, um, and this is the kind of thing that we, we easily could be doing. We easily yeah. could be doing. And it's fun. It's fun. It's like, if your movement doesn't feel fun, call the artists, make sure that you have some artists around. <laughs> Honestly, it just makes it, it brings a, another level of joy into something that could be, um, that is really hard to continue because oftentimes our movements are about, you know, interruptions of life or you know the end of the the world vis-a-vis climate change or whatever it might be it you know our movements are dealing with really difficult things and it's hard on the people who are organizing and if you have art culture around and you're thinking about these types of things it can bring a level of joy into the movement that makes it that much more possible to take the next step Mm -hmm. 